Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Slay the Spire of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Can I Hear Your Kick Drum? No, just your kick drum. Don't touch anything else. Play it again. Is the XLR bad? Did you switch the XLRs from last time? Hold on, jiggle it. Jiggle it in the mixer. Okay, uh, okay, okay, I think it's good now. Play a kick drum again. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's all right. <laughs> and I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. Not just a show, it's a live ritual. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You know, I got I to gotta do the, uh, the recorded rituals right now. And uh, for, for any non-musicians listening to the show, which it feels like aren't many, it feels like everybody who listens to this show is in three bands. If, um, if you're not, you might as well just like start trying to play guitar. Yeah, just, just put out a demo. Fuck it. Just, just play, yeah, play Smoke on the Water. I, I am in the middle of recording new material with my black metal band, and I think it's going to be smoother and more enjoyable every time I record and like 15 years on recording it still fucking sucks it's that's still just because miserable. you're getting you're that's because you keep getting better and pushing yourself harder no it's not i don't think it's even that it's just like the petty frustrations of like okay this literally worked 45 seconds ago why is this cable not working now hold <laughs> on you 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 slightly change the angle on the mic on your snare drum now everything's completely different why why is the click track not lining up you literally heard me record this perfectly to the click track and now it's not lining up with the click track what's going on with the interface shit like that you know i remember yeah weird parallel but i remember you know remember the game missed with a y yeah 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 it was really boring because there wasn't any fighting but like i i remember i started as a kid and I got a reasonable amount in, and then like I just changed some. I just did something that made any of the progress I'd made just kind of like it became impossible to do anything. It's just like the saved version of your game is the one you fucked up. Oh yeah, it's, it, yeah. You know what I like with recording? It must be similar. It's like wait, you change the snare drum. Now it all sounds different, and then you change the change the snare drum back, and it still sounds different. Oh, it's a nightmare, dude. It's a nightmare. Yeah. And, you know, and the problem is, like, we, whenever I record, you know, there's there's certain modern technology we'll take advantage of, and there's certain stuff that I don't like. Like, uh, I hate doing, like, sample replacement on drums. I don't quantize things. Uh, you know, shit like that kind of modern polished production stuff. But goddamn, do you want to do it when certain stuff becomes an interrupter? And you realize that, like, the benefit of it isn't necessarily in the sound, but in how much time it saves from you, like, not having to rely on finicky little adjustments of microphones and guitar tones and stuff like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It just, oh man, it's, it's always a miserable experience. You're always happy by the time you get done with it, but God, it's been like four weekends now I've been doing it. (laughs) Why don't you put one mic in the corner of the room and play the album? You know that it's <laughs> because I'll tell you right now, I've tried to do that before, and I think it might just be my own autism, but it never sounds as cool as when other people do it. So I do it in the painstaking way. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I've 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 recorded a demo or a rehearsal that way, and it sounded great. But we also, I think, we also have somewhat different ideas about production. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're also doing like you know, just kind of droning, crushing hate forest stuff, and I'm doing like I have solos in my shit. Right. Oh yeah, you have sol you have different parts in your songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You. Like, one of one of our songs has like eight riffs in it. <laughs> mm, mm. Do you ever play a chord? Uh, how many strings? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> I think I get up to about four strings sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like ooh. oh, that's 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 borderline. That's that's a, that's, that's chord adja- it's it's chord adjacent. It's, it's chord adjacent. We can't we can't. Yeah, stand yeah that. sorry. Only Roman Sanko's allowed to do that. <laughs> I mm. gotcha. <laughs> okay, okay. So real quick before we get into our uh, our opener uh, segment. Uh, housekeeping because we do have a slight adjustment so uh, if you're into the show and you want to be kept up to date with the I don't know the the, the latest exciting goings on in the co-prosperity sphere uh, you can follow me the death metal guy on Facebook at terminus podcast or you can follow the, the black metal guy on Instagram at terminus extreme metal and if you're really invested you can subscribe to us on patreon. And no longer subscribe star because nobody ever signed up to the subscribe star. And we recently realized we've been paying $10 a month for the privilege the whole time. <laughs> yeah. My bad, my bad, bro. <laughs> we just, we have spent a couple hundred dollars on something that never did anything. So watch us. Yeah. If, if you were considering it immediately do it now and please subscribe at a level higher than $10. Um. <laughs> yeah, give this a point, but uh, I think it's yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, you can subscribe to us on Patreon. Uh, Three dollars and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, the newest of which uh, we actually just released a couple days ago. Uh, that's actually a combination um, submission from one of our patrons and uh, a review of Immortal Sons of Northern Darkness, and uh, it ended up being uh, ended up being a really interesting episode. Um, that was great fun to record. I was in high spirits when we got done with that. Yeah, it was. And uh, so against uh, Immortal Sons of Northern Darkness, the uh, requested record is, of all things, Cranium's Speed Metal Sentence. And uh, if you guys aren't familiar with that, look it up on Metal Archives, and I think you'll you'll want to subscribe immediately. Um <laughs> So that's $3 up. $5 and up, of course, gets you access to those, as well as access to the uh, Terminus Black Circle, our uh, private Discord server, where you can do things like make those requests, uh, talk about... Uh talk about obscure, you know, black metal demos worth more than your life and uh, post dank memes as well. Um, and $10 and up actually gets you uh, voting privileges to uh, decide our uh, what we're going to be recording for the regular Terminus Prime bonus episodes. Um, so with all that out of the way and with the uh, the sad, sad death of Subscribestar, uh, we, we have another death in the family and... Uh, Black Metal Guy, introduce us to our uh, our first opening segment. All right, this is the Deathbed Sessions by Sepulchral Curse. Uh, it's out on. They're doing this punk label style. It's out on Personal Records, Lycanthropic Chance, and Transylvanian Recordings. Um, so this is an EP, um, and it's a transitional EP by. Sepulchral Curse, a band who we have reviewed uh, and uh, interviewed. 
Um, they were one of the first bands I interviewed for the show. Uh, great dudes, very supportive, um, friends of the show. So uh, obviously we wanted to cover this. Um, we, I think we're like... We're going to do it just where we like play. It's a 20 minute EP. We're just going to play one song all the way through and talk about it. Um, but before that, what we should do, what I should do is like clarify there seem to have been some sort of like lineup changes with Sepulchral Curse. And I think this is the last recording with the old lineup. Um, this is a five member band, so I may be uh, missing something. Uh, it, it, I think, according to Metal Archives, though, the the big significant change that happened is that um, they'd, they'd had this drummer, uh, Tommy, Tommy Ilmanen, who was uh, really uh, central to their songwriting process. It was a band where like, all the instrumentalists contributed to the songwriting, um, as also the vocalist, but like the, the drummer was sort of threading it all together and, in fact, writing a bunch of parts on his... And, and on, on guitar and writing lyrics and stuff. So I think he was central to the concept of the band. And for whatever reason, he has, uh, he has departed. Um, and so he's replaced on the kit by uh, Johannes Rontala. Um, and there may have been some other... I, I thought I heard about some other change too, but I'd have to verify that with the band. And, uh, you know, I'm a music critic, not a music journalist. Um <laughs> Uh, the, um, but, uh, but if, if there is some correction about that, I will throw it in the, in the description. Um, so, so yeah, so Deathbed Sessions is the last recording with, uh, Tommy on, on drums and, and vocals and some, some vocals and keys. Uh, so that's the deathbed of their original lineup. And these guys have been, you know, these guys have been playing together since 2014 and they've all been bros a long time. So, you know, end of an era. Um, so let's, this is, this is, shows substantial development or from Only Ashes Remain. It's pretty interesting. I vaguely remember talking to them and hearing things like they were going to get, uh, you know, they have a sound that runs a spectrum from the melodic to the, uh, just sort of demigod style crushing stuff. And, um, they've exaggerated different sizes of that spectrum. And it's also gotten a way more heavy metally which I believe they forecast a little bit. So let's check out the track, um, Harvesting the Bloodlines.
that's a change of direction, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you make of that? Well, it's it's interesting. So, like, at, at first blush, obviously, this is very much kind of a Melodeth song um, that mm-hmm. really emphasizes the most heavy metal parts of that. But what I find interesting is the fact that they're applying those sort of riffing styles to this circuitous sort of fin death song structure. Like, uh, after they return to that sort of intro Tom part, instead of leading back into riff A, it kicks out into a different direction. Yeah, um, there's that whole midsection with some interesting kind of more uh, more Black Death kind of riffing. Yeah, there's a, um, there, there's a big touch of sort of like Swedish melodic black metal. In the middle, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, in that middle mm-hmm. section. You know, it's like once you get to that solo, you're thinking, okay, is this just going to be kind of a straight-up heavy metal song? But then when they spin it off into the different direction, that's what reminds you it's still Sepulchral Curse. Um, it's still got that vertical structuring, even though the the sort of meat and potatoes riffing is extremely different from the last record. Yeah, it's also got that sort of, yeah, well, vertical structuring is nice because there's always a lot of different layers going on in this band, right? There's the, um, uh, in the main riff, the main riff is actually two riffs, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the... Um, and you've got that, uh, there might be, there's really no, there's a riff on the bass. There's a riff, there's a standard mellow death riff on one rhythm on the rhythm guitar. And then there's another guitar. The other guitar is slashing across it with that like damp, damp, damp thing. Yeah. Um, they're, they're sort of like subtle articulations of fairly standard mellow death phrases. Yeah, I think it's a really good, really good way of doing it. And, you know, ironic, it's one of those things where the more you just let Melodeath sound like heavy metal, you can actually make it heavier. Mm-hmm. It yeah. becomes less sort of like, it becomes less effete if you've actually got a guy just going like, and they're engaging with that mm-hmm. sort of... Uh, you know, primordial like British street punk thing that you would hear on early Iron Maiden. It's like you know mm-hmm. you you can you can hear the clash tucked away deep in the background there. There's some swag some swagger to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How about that? That first riff is like fucking. Um, uh, I mean, it's like a Danzig or a Pantera riff. Um, yeah, it's it's got that surf rock energy. The overall mood to the song is kind of like. Uh, the overall mood to the song, it's almost like horror punk. The yeah, chord progressions yeah. move like a Misfits song. Or like, uh, um, I don't know, there's this new band, uh, this is current band, Well Purgus, which will is just offensively catchy. Uh, you know, <laughs> sort of like, I, I, I resent them for, for how much I've had that stuff stuck in my head, but it's a quite, good, quite a good band. Like, sort of horror punk, heavy metal type stuff has songs that kind of feel like this mood wise mm-hmm. yeah no it's um it's interesting I, I i'm getting the sense that there's probably no um center to this ep because i was listening to the opening track mm-hmm. uh last night which is uh, definitely cut more from the cloth of only ashes remain it's not one-to-one but it definitely leads a little bit more toward the center so it's I more like slow slow building brooding it's like the slower stuff that we really liked off the end of that record it's sort of mm-hmm. slow 
slow building brooding black textured death metal black death stuff yeah so, the, mm-hmm. so i'm guessing this ep the uh the three originals because there's also a demigod <clears throat> cover at the end the mm-hmm. three originals probably are all leaning into sort of exaggerated tendencies of different ideas you would hear on the previous record it's sort of just feeling out the edges of the musical space for the band yeah yeah following the potentials you know yeah like exploring the different potentials in it and getting ready for whatever comes next hey it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse and I'm Yaku you're listening to Terminus all right and we are back with our first full review of the night. Uh, the new one from Giendod, I Utakt Medverden, out on Hellthrasher Productions. Um, Giendod are a uh, Terminus veterans. Uh, we reviewed Angrap in 2020. Seems so recent. Uh, um, late 2020, I guess. Uh and we both really, really liked that one. And I've, I've had my eye on them for a minute. I really liked their first full-length Ned Stignin, as well as, uh, which was sort of more, um, up, you could say up-tempo depressive black metal. Uh, and as well as their second one, Kriegsduger, which was kind of uh, more like a glorious toke type stuff. Um, Angrep, uh, you know, you really led the charge on that particular review. How would you describe Angrep? Uh, yeah, that was that was a weird thing where I had I had found that record randomly just browsing new releases, and I was like, "Hey, have you heard of this?" And we we're like, "Yeah, I've listened to all the albums." <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that was out. It just yeah, totally yeah. missed me. Angrep is a, a super cool album that I still listen to, um, and it is. It's, it's challenging to describe because it's a very harsh and angular sort of second wave descended black metal record, but with a really um, big streaks of really rich melody and harmony uh, that help wrap together these these sort of deliberately difficult angular songs. It's, um, it's really just kind of a, a perfect fusion of like stuff that I'm really into and stuff that you're really into in black yeah, metal. Yeah, that's for... That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a perfect kind of juxtaposition of our two styles and the the cool thing was that the the kind of hard contrast stuff that would happen on that record uh, never felt disjointed. It, it it created a very complete and very precise sort of atmosphere and aesthetic. It was a it was a modernist take on Norwegian black metal in a way that's different from say a grand declaration of war or uh it, they were doing to Norwegian black metal what Spite Extreme Wing did in Italy. Yeah, it, um, it felt sort of like extreme a... distillation and condensation, focus on angular shapes and uh, economy, and mm-hmm. this r- ranging between this sort of uh, intense simultaneity of like melody and aggression. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a really cool record that kind of like extended the second wave tradition, and it didn't feel like. Um, it, it wasn't like worshiping at the altar. It just felt like a, a logical continuation of those ideas. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, these are Norwegians playing nowadays relevant underground black metal, mm-hmm. and that's been their thing the whole time. It's you know the, I think it's common knowledge that the Norwegian scene is not what ain't what it used to be. 
Um, but I think if anything, it's there. There's more potential now than there maybe was five or ten years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, you know, uh, Gendot is probably is you know at at the forefront of that, right? They've been releasing consistently since 2017 or full lengths. Uh, their demo was in 2016, and everything they've done is uh, original and has their personal stamp on it. Yeah, yeah, I I really like. Um, I mean, you got to imagine that it's it's got to be a pain in the ass being a black metal band from Norway. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. At at a certain point, you know, about thirty years down the road, the second wave has to feel like more of a curse than a blessing if you're like a band trying to do black metal now in Norway. Yeah, well, I think we talked about how like. Um, because the second wave, the second wave happened right when the music press and m- m- sort of like record labels still had a lot of power, right? Mm. And when you could still sort of make money being a touring band, and so it for a lot of these Norwegian black metal bands, it wasn't even really s- selling out to like start touring a lot and playing with these you know putting out records with these bigger labels right it was just doing what morbid angel did Mm -hmm. um and then you but then it moves towards the prog and rock star bloat and the thin sunglasses era right and it becomes you know the norwegian black metal scene sort of gets absorbed into the mythos of heavy metal in general and then sort of when those initial wave of bands falls apart it all kind of falters right and you get you get bands in the middle years like cold Brawn or whatever kind of trying to revive that original scene but mm-hmm. basically basically because it of the hype cycle because they were able to get hyped it was an underground scene that was able to get a degree of mainstream hype and because that it didn't like put down self-sustaining roots in the way that the people they influenced uh the slavs the french uh all these people did yeah norway norway sort of overdeveloped because it was so our so far out in front and it had difficulty kind of re-establishing a, a sort of grassroots <laughs> underground scene as a result yeah, and probably if you were a teenager coming up in the early 2000s, you would just like be like, well, Black Metal's played out, and look at Emperor, isn't this goofy? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, uh, or look at look at fucking Dimmu Borgir, like, 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 let's let's play some hardcore or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's, uh, uh, but, but yeah, so, so these days, though, there is, um, there is there you know things things rise and fall and rise again and here we have Gendud and so that that leads us back to the task of this record just kind of the Norwegians kind of invented right you know we could say sure black metal predates Norway in some ways but they invented this folky trance inducing low to mid tempo thing right mm-hmm. and that is uh that is certainly the sound Gandot are exploring on this record, right? A sound that you would get from bands like, you know, Burzum, obviously, and uh, Ulver, and, uh, you know, maybe you could say Forgotten Woods. They don't sound very much like Forgotten Woods, but Forgotten Woods. Um, and, uh, um, and, and they're sort of, they're playing that style here, but that style, sort of after the initial Norwegian explosion, that you know, the Norwegians were not the ones uh, playing that style, and it passed to 
the torch really passed to the Slavs mm-hmm. um, and also to DSBM. And so Gendot are making, you know, you you said they gave you a sort of a forecast of what this record would be like because you've corresponded a bit with the guy. Uh, yeah, the after, after we did our um, after we did our review in 2020, I, I sent it over to them and uh, I corresponded with one of the dudes briefly on Facebook. Um, he appreciated the review and uh, he listened to it and he said, you're not going to like the next one. This one, next one is slow. And I was like, well, I, I don't know if it being slow would necessarily be a problem, but uh you know, so quickly, I do like this record, um, and yes, it is quite slow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, good news for them. You are you like really slow stuff. In fact, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you. I mean, you listen to Torture Doom and DSBM. So, um, so this is, uh, yeah, I like it too. This is a very impressive record. Uh, and um, maybe in some way the most original thing they've done. I don't know. That original one, that, that first record was also pretty distinctive. But well, like, I was, um, was kind of curious just because you have more experience with this band. Mm-hmm. I, I was wondering what the relationship between this one and the first album, Ned's Digning, would be like. Because you were saying that was a mm-hmm. lot more kind of DSBM vibes, which this record kind of does too. Are they comparable or is this a very different take? on that idea they're pretty diff they're pretty different i mean you could see how their discography really seems to be just like strong state four strong statements in different idioms Mm -hmm. um and you can see how they're all related to each other but there's not like a direct um i don't know that there's a direct progression happening right now Mm -hmm. maybe they maybe they will make something that then feels like it's building on all of those things but uh ned stignan was like from what i remember uh sort of like super tortured gargling vocals um uh um and guitar lines that often had this kind of like winding deliberately needling aspect to the melodies sort of like uh um, like very, very cold and trebly, uh, but also kind of, they would throw in these lush, uh, toke chords frequently and often, you know, have these kind of melancholy sighing melodies. Uh, there's a part, I, I think I told, talked about this on the last, when, on the last review, there's a part on Ned Stigning where he just sounds so tired. He's just <laughs> like, Ugh! Well, I'd say, it's, I'd say it's, that's, um, that's kind of comparable to this record because this record feels very exhausted. Yes, the but the interesting thing is that Ned Stigning is nimble under that. It mm-hmm. moves at a clip often. There are slow parts for sure, but it's often sort of like upper mid-tempo or even fast. And there are a few songs on it that are more like just bangers. Yeah, um, this is lumbering. And so, Yes, Ned Stignan really feels like a particularly depressive Norwegian black metal record. This is a droning, lumbering, folk black metal record. And it seems very, you know, maybe not any more influenced by DSBM than the other one, but it sounds more, uh, the pacing of it is more DSBM for sure. And it also sounds a lot like they've been responding to... You know, respond, responding to the Slavs, right? 
Mm-hmm. There's nothing on this that sounds like a Slavic black metal riff or even like Slavic chording particularly or Slavic melody. But they realize that this style that started in Norway has been sort of mastered and developed by, you know, the Kharkov boys and by Blazeberth Hall and various other bands like that. And um, they, they're making a take on this music that's responsive to everything that's happened since. And they, they need it to have this lush, broad-spectrum sound, right? Uh, and they need it to be sort of um, grandiose, enveloping, and have um, intense atmospheric continuity. Yeah. And that uh, mm-hmm. that's what interests me a lot is... Um, so this record sounds radically different from Angra, but I think it kind of arrives at a, a similar atmosphere um, mm. just through... I, I think that maybe Gendod is a band more focused on... Like, the, 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 the central impulse is more about atmosphere or theme rather than a particular musical inclination. I mean, it's obviously, it's all going to be black metal, it's all going to be Norwegian, it's all going to float around the same ideas. But I don't think they have an idea of, like, things that are essential for it to be a Gendod record. Oh. Um, as far as, like, musical technique They definitely don't have a uniform sound they're trying Mm -hmm. to establish, at least not yet, but I think the technique carries. Uh, He he has ways of writing, they have ways of writing melodies that are pretty enduring. Um, uh, Yeah, I I don't know. Or or there's another technique that carries over from Angrep that we could talk about. Um, Yeah, I, I, I hear what you mean, though. There's not like there's not a stable sound being developed and there's no strict, I guess the thing I was going to say, like they have no rules. This has been completely unconstrained by any rules, either about how they're supposed to sound any kind of uniform sound. They're supposed to be developing or what black metal bands are supposed to be able to do. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I, I guess I'm a little bit primed for this just because of Angrep, but I feel like one of the big things, I really always get this sense of this sort of like early modernist thing from these mm-hmm. guys, this like late 1800s, early 1900s. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. primed for that by the cover of Angrep, you know, but it's also just got this like this record and Angrep expressed in very different ways, but they have this kind of curmudgeonly hermetic thing to them Mm -hmm. it's like i'm in i'm in my shack in the woods and it's cold and it sucks yeah krieg's dugger is the only um extroverted album they've done yeah oh Uh, yeah that one's a little bit a little bit sunnier yeah that one's brighter and more aggressive uh Mm, it's it's you know i mean on very aggressive too but um uh, but yeah, I take I take your point. There's something curmudgeonly about it, um, and there's something very. Um, they write songs in a very modern way, modernist capital M, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like you know abrupt juxtapositions, hard angles, um, uh, sort of development, radical development of tradition, um, and the the. <laughs> Despite the fact that the covers have these kinds, you know, it's the covers aren't rep. 
Yeah, like the the Angrep cover, right? You know, the scene on that cover, a little boy and a wolf, could have happened any time in the last six hundred years, right? Mm-hmm. But it's 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 a painting of you know, yeah, romantic, uh, you know, probably later nineteenth century nor like romantic painting from Norway, right? Yeah, it's like it was uh, done in like eighteen ninety six or something like that. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And you know, th- this painting too is is from I probably from that time and. You know, yeah, they seem to be referencing, you know, Knut Hampson is probably big for these guys. Um, Things like that. So it's, um, they're not, this is a folk black metal album. This is very much their folk or pagan black, well, all of it's kind of pagan, honestly. Kriegsdugger especially. But but this is a folk BM album. And yet the topo, the scenes in it are not, like, it's not medieval. It's not nostalgic at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not composed, it's not written to evoke a kind of um, ancient, uh, you know, this isn't ancient droning melody returning. And it's also not the thing that's a lot more boring than that, which is sort of like nostalgic retro kind of uh, nostalgic fantasies of the past, right? Mm-hmm. This is, it's it, it seems much more contemporary and I, and I mean maybe we can get into that with uh, the first sample yeah so it's it's folk BM but it's it's not really about the distant past
so that that first change up right that th- that threw me for a loop uh <laughs> i listened b- both times i st- like i went back to play uh, that was like what the fuck just happened and i went back to play it again and it threw me for a loop a second time <laughs> I, I i do like the idea of doing sort of like traditionally pretty melodies but broken up in that that really sort of aggressive angular modernist way yeah and so that's a theme throughout this um and uh, you know angrep would have this uh sort of um you know uh very hard and sudden divisions between passages and uh, you know, cool rhythmic play happening too, right? And this record takes that principle and more or less removes the sort of buzzsaw angular guitar. There's only one time this record does that. Is that that's not in your sample by any chance? Is it? I don't think so. Okay, good. I because I, I didn't want to give it away, but yeah, there's there's like I think one place on this where they play a quote unquote Norwegian black metal riff, right? Like some blasting buzzsaw blasting. And uh it it's actually a head fake. And they never they, they never bring the blast beat in. Um so they've the 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 core riffing is this like layered, uh misty layered uh trem and acoustic stuff. Um and um folk melody and yet within that they just have these sudden lurching changes that was an initial kind of like plotting four four into a triple time right uh yeah it goes into a six eight i mean really it feels more like almost three eight like it's a cut time six eight or something it's very very strange the way they articulate it and it's also interesting because like something that's another thread through a lot of this record. Yeah, really- it's, it's not a standard three, it's not a standard four, four to six or four, four to three, four thing, which are like, our ears are all used to that. It's this very dramatic lurching switch. Mm-hmm. Well, I, another thing that interests me about this record is the, um, for a lot of this record, the bass is the kind of primary riffing instrument. Mm-hmm. Was that not true on Ungrup? No, uh, no, that was definitely wasn't true on. That definitely was wasn't a lot true more guitar for it. I mean, there was definitely cool did, bass stuff going on, but here it really is kind of the lead. Voice. No, so I'm, I, I was che- double checking to make sure because okay, so there's a similarity with Ned Stingman because mm. that was remarkable for having very prominent bass. It, I wouldn't say it was necessarily carrying the riffs, the but it often made. Often there were there's very active bass playing that often really made the riff. Mm-hmm. Like you know the the count the counterpoint stuff being done there would often um really uh whatever flourish was happening on guitar and vocals the bass would somehow um be what just made it. Sublime. Well, I think um, the one thing you're getting at with this record is that. What makes this so interesting, this is another sort of like, we were talking about that Corpus Christi record um, a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, which we both kind of agreed was a, a a black metal record that relied on your understanding of black metal tropes to identify mm-hmm. it as something special. I think something similar goes on here, because something interesting that happens is like a lot of the sort of melodic ideas on this album are very straightforward. I mean, they're very kind of just traditional black folk melodies that you've heard in some form before, but they're contorted in so many ways through these, through just 
odd uh, right hand work on the guitar, weird sort of rhythmic shifts that yeah. break them up in really unexpected ways. There you go. Yeah, I think that's right. The melodies are in in some ways so the, they're kind of understated mm-hmm. uh, almost. You know, there are not. This is not a riff oriented record at all. There's this sort of smoothly, in fact, like they're difficult to pin. In those initial riffs, you know, what was the melody there? Da, 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 da. You know, that's like... And, a, you're, and you're kind of generating the riff there yourself between the bass and the, uh, the guitar. Yeah. Exactly, yes. there. It's very difficult. There's actually no... To the extent that there's a melodic center, it's the bass, but there's no real singular riff to lock onto. The melody exists as the meshing of all these different things, and it's very slight, deliberately, through most of the record. That's that's a really good point. And so a lot of the drama is coming from rhythm and arrangement. Um, And, like, you know, even just in that sample, it changes their dramatic time and tempo shifts two or three more times. There's a shift... They do a thing that they frequently do. Well, the interesting thing about all these changes is that it changes like four times and it never goes from slow to fast or Mm -hmm. slow to mid-tempo. These are variations on slow tempos and all occurring... um, Yeah, it's like a change from a 4-4 to a triple, but it's very slow. And then that triple changes to another kind of triple time rhythm but it's still slow. Um, and then it goes, you know, sort of lurches into this more open. I think we ran it out on this kind of like extended extra bar kind of melody that sort of trails off. Um, and, you know, that's also slow. And so they're doing kinds of, um, we're used to tethering change-ups to, um, we're used to tethering rhythmic changes to changes in subdivision, right? Mm-hmm. To like changes of like, not maybe the absolute time of the track, but how fast it sounds. Yeah, the percent time. Yeah, yeah. This is not, and that is, they're often refusing to do that here. Mm-hmm. It, dude, it's kind of like cephalotripsy. <laughs> in a sense, it is. Yeah, the idea that you're revolving around the same tempo, but you're sort of. Um subdividing it and creating the illusion of more dramatic changes than are actually happening in terms of the, tempo. The changes are happening with within kind of uniform tempo and feel, but there's a lot of changing rhythmic stuff going on. Yeah, I, th- I think um, this is this is the rare case of a metal record, especially a black metal record that is primarily driven by rhythm more than melody. And we've heard more and more of that in various places, but you know there are a number of trends that we've been noticing in some of the strongest material coming out. And now that it must be said, Gendod was really early too, like mm-hmm. prom- bass prominent in the mix, carrying melodies and important counter melodies. Like they've been doing that since the first full length. I don't know about the, maybe the first EP or the first demo, um, and that was 2017. That's five years ago. Um, you know, this increasing interest in rhythm that was certainly on uh, Angrep um, two years ago. Uh, but yeah, these guys are in some way, you know, pi- pioneers and experimenters. Um, mm. And so, yeah, they've, even though this sounds completely different from Angrep, they've clearly learned some lessons from it and have continued some of the same songwriting procedures here. 
Yeah, that's why I'm saying, like, even though this sounds radically different from Angrep, you can tell this is the same band. It's revolving around some of the same sort of, like, high-level concepts. Yeah, if there is a line of development, maybe it's really happening from Angrep to this one. And then it's really interesting to hear what the next one would be. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. But, um... So, next track. Um, I thought of not sampling this to sample something that makes some other kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, um, techni- interesting technical point about the songwriting. But then I realized I have to sample the one that sounds like Graveland. So during the sample there, you were saying something about a, a polyrhythm. Was that underneath the melody, the sort of um, polyrhythmic drumming? Was that underneath the melody, like damn, damn, da, damn, da, damn, da, it's, damn, a, it's actually damn, the whole time, uh, or almost the whole time. There's that switch at the end where he moves to a different rhythm, but he's uh, just doing a, a, a kind of. It's a simple polyrhythm. It's just a a, a, a triplet feel symbol uh, against you know a simple kind of one-two kick snare. Uh, piece, but it's it's definitely a polyrhythm, and it's not the kind of thing you hear in metal. It's, right? It's uh, not. It's not. Da 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 da. It's not. It's not like you're subdividing each quarter note into a triplet. It's there's a, a its own triple time layered over half of the measure. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's two a, beats. It's yeah. really. It's it's sort of like a, a starter jazz or swing thing. Um, but it's really cool to hear it in this context against guitars like that. I mean, there's been certain bands that have done that. I mean, Graveland, <laughs> Graveland did it, but kind of accidentally. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that. Yeah. So um, the so the, they're really the way they're doing these subdivisions is really very Gravelandy. Um, you know. Uh, you know. Uh, you know. It's got the jangle. Um, uh, 
And uh, but they're not ever actually playing the Capricornus beat. Um, this track suggests these guys have listened to Graveland so much that they understand that there's more than one Capricornus beat, <laughs> and that what those what gives those songs on like Thousand Swords and Following the Voice of Blood what makes them so heavy is in part the switch up between different modes of triplet subdivision at uniform tempo mm-hmm. um uh that'll even happen within it's kind of like that'll even happen within a riff it'll have a couple different triplet rhythms in it it's kind of like um the different variants of a db riff you can play uh yeah. different rhythmic yeah. subdivides you know do you do da 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 do you do dum da da dum dum da da dum do yeah because that that polyrhythm figure is is sort of like what the d beat is getting at you know yeah, yeah, it's a sort of um, heavy syncopation. Do you do the, you know, um, you know? There's the one graveland is like dangling, 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 dang. There, there's just different ways of doing it. I don't know. You know, honestly, I haven't been listening to a lot of graveland lately, so it's not oh Jesus. But um, yeah, it's um. Are yeah, you, well, you are know, you it's, okay? It's Do you have COVID? <laughs> it's, it's 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 summer. It's spite extreme wing season. Um, Graveland comes in more in the autumn. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, um, but like so, they really um, there's just this rapid expansion and contraction of triplet grooves, and there are these cataclysmic fiat time change, you know, rhythmic changes throughout this record and those are things that are all over graveland um and so this this is one track that shows them responding to the slavs but not actually sounding like the slavs right because it's in a much more technically accomplished way um and it's um they know the style so well they don't have to directly imitate it right he yeah. just comes up with two of two or three of his own capricornacy folk black beats um and you know, th- that's also a thing I realized, like, are there, is there a lot of triplet... There's not, like, folky triplet stuff on, say, um, uh, what's, you know, the the big, the, the Olvera record, everyone, you uh, know, the... Natten's Madrigal? No, not Natten's Madrigal, the, um, the, the one, uh, Bergtat, right? Bergtat, okay. Well, I don't N- think... Natten's is my Olvera record, so... <laughs> right, right, but the one that influences a lot of folk black stuff is Bergtat. Um, yeah, yeah. And that doesn't have, um, that might have some triplet blast beats, but it doesn't have, like, folky, mid-tempo folky triplets, does it? Uh, it, I mean, God, honestly, I I can't say. It's been so many years since I've I'm just wondering, like, that might be a thing that the Slavs actually really contributed, is this heavy emphasis on certain kinds of folky triplet melodies. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, that that would fall in line with something we're seeing a lot more recently, which is just people taking over seriously. Like real extreme metal people taking Olver more oh, seriously. Sorry, so I meant the opposite. I was trying to say like I don't think that's coming from Olver. Um, I'm trying oh, to say okay. like the the like the sort of triplet stuff that's happening throughout this record is a I think maybe a more modern kind of folk black playing that you didn't get on the early Norwegian record. Someone correct me. I could be missing some very glaring example of this. The one one of the Norwegian folk black bands that. The only like Norwegian band I can think of that had this kind of rhythmic dynamism was Treldom, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I'm guessing these guys are really influenced by Treldom. Um, it, it Treldom works more at a sort of pummeling heavy mid tempo, 
But that's like, you know, he has Tom runs. It has uh, dramatic time changes, uh, you know, switches from these rolling things to stomps to blast beats. Um, really emphasizes uh, heaviness. Heavy, yes, heaviness, rhythmic dynamism, and also kind of um, wild vocal performance, right? And although this is a much more muted atmospheric version of that, any time you get one of these just like lurching beat changes on this record, it's a kind of a trill to me thing as well. And I'm sure Grave, uh, Graveland almost kind of is simultaneous with Trelldom, but you know, I'm sure there was mutual influence there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, samples for me. Um, one thing that struck me listening to this album is that the thing that it most closely resembles, at least in terms of mood, is that Ilds record that we covered last year. You remember that one? Yeah, yeah, it's a lot like Ild. Yeah, it, it, for those that didn't, didn't hear our review of the Ild record last year, Ild is like a new project, came out of nowhere, that is just sort of like intensely miserable like really miserable early modernist themed um almost black doom it's very slow it's very kind of claustrophobic it's 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 an endurance test to get through but in a good way um Mm -hmm. it, it definitely has a super distinct mood but it has the same sort of like hermetic mystic feel that this album does um it, like the, the primary word I would use to describe both that record and this one is grumbling. This is very grumbling music. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 for sure. It's like not not like overtly threatening, but it's not happy that you're around, you know? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so this passage is just another really good instance of, one, just the, the incredible bass performance that is just really kind of one of the highlights of the record. Um and the way the bass performance is used to enhance and give real creative body to guitar riffs that I think are almost like deliberately muted stylistically. Um, because you're going to hear some of the folky stuff, you're going to hear sort of like almost orthodox kind of guitar figures in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bass is what brings those figures alive. I mean, in a sense, it's almost like the guitars are performing the role of what synths would in a lot of other uh, black metal bands and the bass is performing the role of guitars. Uh, it's very, very unusual kind of configuration, but it gives it a really distinct mood. Um, so this is off Mott Fred and, uh, yeah, no, this is about halfway through a lot of weird stuff happens here and I really like it.
also uh, another trend we're noticing, at least on the albums that we've been covering uh, in black metal, the uh, the uh, sort of coda rider phrases at the ends of riffs, because there's actually uh, there's three different time signatures just in this uh, this sample here. So uh, original riff is like a five four arrangement, but it doesn't have like a rider bar. It's just straight five four. Then you've got a sequence of two four four bars with a cut time rider at the end of the phrase, and then on the third transition, it's two four four bars and a three four phrase at the end of it. So you have this constant evolution of sort of oddly timed riffs, but you can see how they kind of stack together. It's based off four, four roots with these elaborations on the end, which again is going to be close to the stuff we were hearing on the Narboleth record last year, as well as just a lot of stuff we've been covering lately. Um, And I think these, these more elaborate sort of timing dimensions that are starting to, bleed their way back into more traditional black metal styles is really cool. I mean, there, there's no reason that sort of second wave inspired stuff can't play around with the, the boundaries of the measure a little bit more. Um, and I think it's used really effectively here because it, it, it's very organic, but it's disjointed in a cool way. You know, riffs are starting and stopping at, at strange points. You can't predict the flow of the song. It wouldn't really be, they wouldn't really be able to make those arpeggiated. Uh, those are really cool winding arpeggiated riffs, but they wouldn't be able to do that over a standard 4-4 bar. Yeah, yeah, it's um, the the structure of the music is dictated by just naturally over time more advanced riffing developments that have happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in addition to that, another couple cool things. One, you know, you're starting with a pretty simple walking bass line against that sort of orthodox arpeggiated figure at the beginning. But then it just breaks off into this really kind of surprisingly technical run up and down the fretboard which becomes sort of the, the bulk of the musical interest in that main riff. And then the switch to that sort of double-time hi-hat disco beat on the second riff is another thing that I really appreciate. There's, I bet these guys are into, and you know, something we'll also see in the second record we're going to cover, I bet these guys are into a lot of like surprisingly kind of proggy and jazzy stuff. Uh, especially for how they're kind of rhythmically informed and how they're structuring these songs. And I think they really pull it off um, because it's so understated. It can glide past you unless you're counting it. And when you do, it's like, oh, wow, there's this crazy rhythmic dimension to this music that is delivered with such confidence and ease. You might not not even notice it the first couple listens. Yeah, this is, um, you know, the thing I hope about this rhythmically complex stuff, um, in some way, like, it's a very positive development because it's just this whole possibility space that hasn't been explored. But, like, there are two ways it can go. It can go, um, as it is, right, it's kind of a, the, a feature of a, it's like very late black, like a, a late feature of a style or like a Baroque feature of a style. It's like as it goes on and on, you generate a la- variation by being more and more elaborate, right? Uh, and sort of adding um, 
you know, playing with the forms in ways that people who are really familiar with the forms will appreciate. Uh, that's good and interesting, but it's a way of getting life out of a style that has had a long, you know, a long shelf life, or that that is let getting life out of a style that's been around a long time. What what would be really interesting to me is seeing if there are bands that take that different sense of time uh, and rhythmic openness and use it to get outside the songwriting parameters of black metal altogether. And I obviously don't mean being liturgy, right? Um, <laughs> you know, how can you make sort of uh, primitivist guitar music that um, that just is that you know? How could you take like this or um, how can stuff like this start pointing us towards a more rhythmically a, a kind just way of organizing this music that's different? Do you know what I mean? No, I I, I get what you mean. You, and I think that the answer to that is is sort of what Gendo is doing here, which is it, it doesn't feel the time signatures come second. The time signatures are a happy accident of writing, you know, riffs or just kind of segments of music that aren't just looping in on themselves, like four, four, mm-hmm. or six, eight passages uh you know these are sort of linear melodies with distinct start and end points and uh the fact that they are arranged in these more elaborate than normal ways it doesn't seem like you know they're not starting with a time signature and writing a riff to fit that they're writing a riff that happens to be in this time signature you know um and I think as long as these bands do and that... And they're also not taking standard riffs and tacking things on at the end of them. No, no. Each riff is a, a whole idea. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. there's not an arbitrary um, addition at the end. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's true. That it's very much like... Um, the... Uh, it's not being done fetishistically for its own sake. Like we need some odd time signatures here and it's, we're a technical band and it's not being done as mere uh, embellishment. But yeah. So, I mean, in some sense, right, this doesn't, uh, the way the melodies are working is certainly very different from riffing as traditionally conceived or from, you know, trem melody or whatever. So yeah, there are some ways that maybe this actually isn't that black metal um, even though it's working within classic Norwegian uh, melodic parameters, and even though it's activating those kinds of um, atmospheres, yeah, yeah, it's. Um, I I think that Gjendor on this record really executes the whole conceit really well. You know, it's 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 music first, it's content first, and um, just because of the way they've kind of developed the content the structural parameters have necessarily expanded as a result. Um, now, all the weird stuff out of the way. Real quick, let's just go to the last track, Scudi Nada. Um, so you slog through 40 minutes of just kind of, of a very good but also exhausting kind of slow cantankerous grumbling folk black stuff and you're like oh my god are we gonna get a break you do kind of with the final track on the record which is probably the only thing that has some of the more straightforward kind of talky or windier riffs from on grip 
mm-hmm. and yep. it's it's kind of just like a nice it's a nice outro the, to the whole the, record you know the, the sense of melody here is closer to uh their melodic the the melodic chording they use on all of the previous records yes. like if you want to hear like like Gendod riffs this is the track that has the Gendod riffs yeah this is this is the one where after all that time in the forest you you finally get to come up for air Jesus Christ, after the rest of the album, that might as well be a Cradle of Filth song.
we are back uh, after uh, fantasizing about the uh, the post-black revival movement that will occur in 10 years <laughs> <laughs> for a review of a very weird and very interesting record. Um, we covered these guys on their uh, first demo back in 2020, which it seems, again, more recent than that. But uh, we now have the debut full-length by Doldrum titled The Knocking or The Story of the Sound That Preceded Their Disappearance, uh, released on the Catafalque imprint, uh, which you guys may be familiar with because uh, last year we covered the Gallows uh, debut record, 66 Black Wings, uh, and Doldrum shares a couple members. So uh, I have been uh, corresponding over the past couple years here and there with uh the man who, within this project, goes by the name the terrific Don McKinnon, the uh, drummer for <laughs> Doldrum, uh, who's part of a part of a circle of musicians um, who I have been friends with a member or two of for a lot of years now. Uh, they've gotten Very a little long bit, time, yeah, yeah. Uh, they've gotten a little bit more open about their affiliations, but I'm not sure exactly like what projects they claim, how the network exactly works. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it for all of you to guess. Um, so doldrum in particular, uh, three piece, uh, spread out, but kind of centered in Denver, Colorado. Um, the first demo, you were the one who actually discovered it um, when you brought it onto the show in 2020. How would you articulate, uh, you know, the first demo? I mean, I mean, the, the he first might demo have sent it to us. I can't remember. Yeah, um, I can't either. The first demo, I mean, it, we there were just two tracks, and I think maybe we just reviewed the first one, where mm -hmm. we were really struck by the knocking for sure. Um, and, uh, are you a man who knocks? <laughs> um, that was the very memorable chorus, you know, at the doorways to the earth. Um, <laughs> are you a spirit of air or mud or salt? Yeah. <laughs> is, is that the lyric? That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's another lyric. Yeah. In it. yeah. So, so basically, so there you go. So that's one of the most striking things about it immediately was these kind of pitched vocals, like, they're like loud spoken, clearly enunciated, and they have this sharp attack. It almost feels like the each line is angling upward. Um, uh, so very odd vocals um, that are you know unique and cool, and very sort of uh, carefully timed. Um, and I remember it had this sort of uh, so. A, a dry earth heaviness to it that reminded me of Celtic Frost, but also a sort of um, uh, uh, fractured rhythmic pulse to it that reminded the you of uh, Grand Declaration of War, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, as usual, we Rorschach test it. Um, uh, but um, it, it, I think it had sort of both of those. Uh, yeah. And um, we were, it was interesting to see where it would go. And the lyrical themes are, you know, uh, the general concept for the project is about beat miners. Like they're, they're from, they're from out West. They're from Denver. So this thing about minor lore, um, uh, miners and prospectors. Uh, but this particular album, I think, 
is based on a 19th or early 20th century short story. Some mm. sort of like proto-cosmic horror thing. Or, um, I, I, this is just something I saw on Instagram, and uh, I, I am simply relaying it as uh, hearsay. Because I, I don't... Uh, wait, you know what? I'll, I'll dick around on Instagram and see if I can find anything more on it. But I believe the cover illustration is clearly from some sort of 19th century book. Uh, and um, it's, it's like a, an old professorial looking man stranded at the bottom of a well with like a homunculus or something. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's at once very black metal and also totally alien at the same time, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's with this like fucking... You know, uh, it's like a 19th, it's like a turn of the century version of a, those, uh, architects from fucking Prometheus, like a Ridley yeah. Scott movie or something. I mean, it's, it, it really is in a sense, a, a really cool way of, um, articulating a distinctly American take on sort of classic black metal themes. It's like... We're out in the woods, you know, way far from civilization, and there's spooky shit out here. So what does that mean in Colorado versus Norway? Okay, well, we got weird fucking, you know, mind monsters <laughs> instead yeah. of trolls or whatever. You know? Yeah, and and so um, this is um, certainly, you know, the name of the band, Doldrum, certainly um, almost just implies board- boredom, right? Uh, the endless tedium of being down in the hot shaft, um, <laughs> and uh, the um, and at the same time, you know, claustrophobia, paranoia, um, and just the heavy weight of a mountain overhead. And you can hear all of those things in this album. They're going for a difficult. This is not easy listening music, and it is not. Um, uh, it yeah, it it's meant to be somewhat uncomfortable and grueling. Yeah, um, th- it's kind of interesting because like this this record seems to be getting some attention. Like I've seen a couple guys on Facebook um, from my local area that have uh, been talking about this on their feeds. Who I I don't you know, speak to regularly about music. So I didn't show it to them or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people are calling this sort of like avant-garde black metal, which is tr- true to a degree, I suppose. But I think you land on something when you describe, uh, you describe this as having kind of the dry heaviness of Celtic frost. Um, Cause I don't know. It's like reflexively, you want to call this a, a sort of kind of black metal, but is there a black metal riff on this record? Well, I'm not really sure about that. Yeah. I, I'm not sure really what you would call the center of the riffing on this music. I, th- I think we both have theories about some of the kind of external influences, but this seems like a melange of a lot of different ideas from the more experimental and proggier sides of extreme metal filtered through a really distinct sort of thematic and atmospheric prism. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, so it's hard to, like, this just, it's it's a pretty original sound. So maybe we should probably uh, give them a sample. Yeah, yeah, we can. So um, I'll just do mine first. And the, the, so this is a, a very dynamic record, kind of tricky to sample, but there is also a sort of homogenous quality to the music that it's, we look for. There's a very, there's a standard continuum to the music for sure. However, each track, yeah, I think this is true of every track. Every track has a unique sonic event. Um, And like, not just a singular kind of sound object thing, but everyone has a certain kind of standout riffing uh, or moment, much of which recurs in some way. Yeah, it's uh so this is just a this is a five track album. There there are five fairly lengthy songs. This comes to uh, about you know uh, 36 37 minutes. Um it actually it goes by really quickly though. Uh it it moves at a really astounding clip, you know. I had, I had to listen to this a couple times back to back to feel like I was really picking up on it. Um so yeah, I'll play a section from the middle of The Visitor. Um, and this will lead into what I think is going to be a primary discussion about this record is where are some of these ideas outside of metal coming from? Cause I think we have two kind of different reads on that, but I think they might all also like ultimately point to the same originating source. So let's listen to the this. devil, <laughs> the, the devil. <laughs> he lived down in the deep, dark mines. You know, <laughs> down in the hot shaft. So, uh, so this section I'm going to play off the visitor just to give a little more context is kind of a um, mostly instrumental break in the middle of the song, which a lot of these tracks are kind of defined by as kind of protracted instrumental passages. But I think this will give a good idea of one of the primary general modes of the record.
So, yeah, this is very hard music to describe. I, I think, like, what we were talking about while the sample was playing, I think we've arrived at, like, this isn't, like, calling this a black metal record just kind of leads you in the wrong direction. It's an, another example of what you were complaining about at the end of the, uh, um, at the end of the Gendod review, uh, when we were just talking about, or wait, no, we were talking about this in between segments, never mind, that I, there's no point in referring to this because we were ranting about it to each other, <laughs> but, um, you know, like, uh, black metal hegemony, right? If anything is good, it's described as being black metal. Yeah. If anything yeah. is, if anything is arty and has chords in it, it's described as black metal. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, one, one way that this relates to black metal though, and this seems to be, this might be a thing kind of like for, uh, the, the, uh, so-called Don McKinnon, uh, because this is something we also saw on the Gallows record, which is a, a real interest in uh, like 2000s era extreme metal. Because um, the Gallows record was like, it was very Avski. It was very, um, you know, early to mid 2000s, like more straightforward black metal. This reflects to me a lot of sort of black metal adjacent stuff that was coming out in the 2000s, uh, like uh, Meads of Asphodel, or um, are you familiar with, uh, uh, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but uh, Ewigkite? No. Yeah, so Ewigkite is a, uh, a solo project by a British dude. Early stuff is sort of like symphonic black metal, and it gets weirder and weirder as it continues on. Um, on his Metal Archives photo, he is wearing a wizard hat, literally, so you should probably check it out. Oh, um, that's good. So, so stuff like that, or I think little bits of, like, Ackercock come through, and uh, stuff like Diabolical Masquerade. Stuff that was, like, sort of household name shit back in the 2000s, but has been very forgotten nowadays. Um so a lot of this record seems to revolve around ideas rooted around like 2004 sort of experimental extreme metal ideas that were pretty popular back then, but just kind of got forgotten about. Um, and they're combining that with this really interesting streak of, well, here's where we get down to it. What do you think the stuff outside of metal is on this record? Cause we have different reads on that. Um, I mean, probably coming from a lot of places. Um, yeah, it's fair. I feel like some of the glistening guitar parts, uh, sounded kind of screamo to me, mm-hmm. but on re-listening to it, I don't necessarily hear that as much. Um, it's um I, there's probably specific parts on specific song on a couple songs that struck my ear that way and whatever for whatever reason in the re-listening and sampling process i just they haven't stuck out to me in the same way um it's a very dense album there's a lot a lot that happens um uh but the thing that does kind of generally point more towards a a core direction to me is the bass. The bass sounds kind of like Meshuga, which is only a point I'm making because there's that kind of Meshuga-y bass on the later Serpent Column stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of genty, uh, sort of oscillating genty grooves. Um, 
And this record is kind of full of that. Um, I get how you could also maybe hear it as something closer to sort of like funky prog bass. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, Meshuggah is funky prog also, right? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, and that is the part of the record that's honestly the hardest for me to get into. I, I feel like if they were using, ironically, probably if they were using that kind of format to like generate breakdowns or something, I'd probably mm-hmm. get into it more. It's, but it's, it's, it's the secret agent man riffs that kill you. <laughs> yeah. It's got this weird, yeah. Um, as it is, it's got this, and the bass under it, as it is, it's got this very sort of sustained, tense, uh, tense mid-tempo thunking that happens throughout the album. And that's pretty... I can see how that relates to the earth and miney feel. Um, but yeah, th- that kind of... I-, I would say that like the standard continuum of this record is just sort of like, it's impressive, but it's not my thing. Yeah, that's fair. So, um, yeah. Well, kind of... So so you, you kind of gave it away. I think that a lot of the stuff that you identify as kind of like screamer or post-hardcore, mm-hmm. I see as more uh, like prog rock or jazz. But actually, before... Right before we got on to record, something occurred to me listening to this again. <laughs> Split the difference and you arrive at something like At the Drive-In. And that makes a lot of sense to me for this. Yeah, but uh, or Mashuga, I think, because Mashuga are also uh, like they're super long hair too. Like they're like like they're like math, like the whole math thing was. Yeah, like get get us the, the guys long- I knew, the dorkiest, <laughs> the dorkiest long hairs I knew in high school, like Mashuga. Yeah, we we got to access the longest hair part of hardcore. We've got something that makes sense here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one thing that I think is cool, though, I mean, this kind of gets to more high level stuff is I really appreciate um, I really like this record and I really appreciate the the it sounds weird to say, but the limited scope of it. It's a very specific story. Uh, being told the, I mean, the whole record is a single narrative. You know, we don't use the term concept album anymore because that I, sucks. I, ch- I checked. It is based on a book, but unfortunately the Instagram comment exchange does not inform me which book. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Um, I'll ask, I'll ask, uh, Mr. Terrific Don McKinnon. About that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I really like the sort of restrained scope of this. You know, metal, you know, for good reason, has a, a tendency towards sort of like vast abstraction. This album is about war. This album is about triumph. This album is very specifically about, you know, getting lost in a mine and being visited by some sort of very specific horrible monster. I kind of like that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like mm-hmm. the... I like the precision of it, you know, and you know me, I love autistically kind of like narrowly aesthetic music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's really cool. And the other thing that I like is the, the variation of the record is wrapped up in that narrative in a cool way. This, this is an album laid, laid out, excuse me, sort of in the manner of like musical theater or something. You imagine each of these songs being, you know, a, 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 a big song and dance number for a specific chapter in the story. Um, this is like one of the longest hair things we've ever had on the show. Seriously, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I just think it's really neat. I, 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 there's definitely, this is certainly not everyday listening um, th- because this doesn't really have like catchy parts. You have to listen to the album from front to back. Like it just, it's fucking like incoherent if you don't. But if you want to set aside the time, I think it's a really cool experience front to back in a, in a very oh, niche style. It, yeah, it's definitely worthwhile. I also just want to clarify, it's like, yeah, this just doesn't have an immediate emotional impact for me, right? It yeah, doesn't, yeah. Uh, it's, um, that said, there are certain parts of it, right, where uh, they break out of the continuum of sort of uh, tense, tense prog chug, tense prog secret chug, um, to, um, a furtive chug. When they break out of the furtive chug into different kinds of more elaborate gestures. And, uh, you know, I think it's like on this album, I'm a big moments guy. Mm, like, okay. you know, on this album, I'm like, oh yeah, I like the part with the big riff. Well, um, I, on, I get it. Okay. On the abduction, this is, um, so, you know, the, the first track, it just is the knocking, which we reviewed before. And the knocking has its big dramatic moments, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And um, the abduction works closer than a lot of these other tracks to a more straight-ahead uh, med- metal song. You'll see. <laughs> take it would take like 20 minutes to properly describe all the cool things that happen in that sample (laughs) yeah so let's talk about um the this is happens about midway through the record and i feel like this is the the highest drama moment um 
But this is a moment where I think my Mashuga comparison is fair because they drop into a fucking jun-jun breakdown um, uh, with sort of like, um, you know, it has, they, that kind of continuum of, of bass sort of bellies out at half time and becomes extremely heavy. Uh, and um, the vocals lock in in this really, there's a place where the rhythmic precision in the vocals really comes through. Uh, and he's delivering um, narrative lines. He's like, down and through the door they go, you know, like hands bound, you know, really heavy. Um, uh Th- there is the only thing on that that sounds like black metal is the vocals, which are very black metal sounding. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, there's, there, there seems to be a, a sort of structural conceit to a lot of these sounds where it's um, the arc. The arc of these songs is not really peaks and valleys, but more like width and narrowness, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, um big sort of elaborate instrumental sections of very kind of diffuse things happening that sharpen into a point really mm-hmm. intensely and then spread out again. You know, I mean, there are kind of like peaks and valleys in terms of like immediacy, but this is, this is a record again, like the Genda that's really a lot more structural in nature than most I get, metal records. I get what you mean. This also Genda, we talked about how there's no single isolable melodic line in a lot of those parts. Mm-hmm. And the same could be said here. There is not, um, or you can't really locate the action in any single part of the music except, and, uh, and then there are moments like this where it all really focuses mm-hmm. on uh, and everything is sort of maybe it's that in other places, the parts are kind of working independently of each other. There, there is a real sense of sort of instrumental independence on a lot of these mm-hmm. songs. But then Whereas you know, right here, they're all they're all audible and doing different things. But here they're all tightly locked together to produce this one effect. Yeah. And it's a, and you can tell that it's built as a sequence because it's like three or four riffs that rely on each other and they're all huge. Yeah. The, the funny thing is that all of those riffs, if you put them together, could be on like a Converge album from like around the time of Jane Doe. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the initial like punky stuff is not like that's like that's like the riffing of hardcore guys who had sort of heard black metal in the early two thousands, <laughs> yeah. right? That's like, and and it's also very close to like Cross the Breeze by Sonic Youth and shit yeah. like that. It's but, um, but then you, you additionally you also have that huge like blues and country mm-hmm. inflection mm-hmm. that's coming in also again, which is really early, distinct. Early two thousand metalcore. Um, really? like Were they that doing kind a lot of, of that shit? That kind of you would hear bluesy riffs like that on. I mean, on Jane Doe, Homewrecker is a blues riff, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, or wait, sorry, that's yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but um, and or you know, think if you think on the more lowbrow end of the spectrum, like who's that? The the fucking um talking about them the other day uh the one from new york that nevertheless tried to it was sort of sounded southern every time i die oh oh yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah but but like 
all of and when I'm comparing it to this sort of thing, right? This is not to knock it or diminish it. Knock pun intended. Um, <laughs> this is this is not to diminish it. It's rather like um, the reference points that people assume are the reference points are not necessarily the most helpful. Um, and just because this exists culturally in the sphere, and in some sense spiritually in the sphere of black metal, does not. It's not necessarily the best way to understand the songwriting. This is a, uh, you know, that's a kill beat to break down to second breakdown sequence, like you'd have in a hardcore song. Yeah, which which leads, especially with this idea of, you know, the cultural sphere. Interesting question I came up with just listening to this. Mm-hmm. Is this outlaw rock? Is this the longest hair take on the outlaw rock idea? Because we've got a lot of I, I elements think... that are part of what we describe. You got the black metal. You've got the the kind of uh, post hardcore metalcore stuff. You've got a lot of these kind of constituent elements just presented it... in a radically different way. Yeah. Well, I, I think we had some disagreements about what should count. I think in the narrow sense of the term, right, it would be this kind of you know stuff that sounds like. Um, uh, sort of like absurd and bluegrass and emo right uh, um and in in the broader sense of right this is the most strict example being maquahedal or whatever right yeah. or um uh but in the broader sense and there in the broader sense right where you know there's certain kinds of notably americana black metal ish stuff Mm-hmm. I think this definitely counts. Like, you know, that Exsang... I remember you were reluctant to include that Exsanguinate record as Outlaw Rock, having something to do with Outlaw Rock. But now that you've heard this, wouldn't you agree these kind of live in the same universe? Yeah. I I, I think for me, the um, the Exsanguinate was missing... There, There's a certain kind of, like, jangle I associate with... Oh, that one was super idea. jangly. Yeah, but... Well, it was... It, in terms of production, but it was also like it's based around like thrash riffing in a, in a large part. So it's like I, I will. But I agree with you. If I'm going to consider doldrum a part of it, then, yeah, exsanguinate is definitely part of it also. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's it's not not sure. Not in the strict sense of stompy modern outlaw ballads, but like modern Americana stuff that is uh, a little bit tangent to black metal proper. No, that's fair. Um, I mean, honestly, the, the way that yeah. I really position Doldrum after The, the this, other thing you would put this next to would be Strix's Skeezus. Yes, yes, definitely. And really, ultimately, where I place Doldrum is like, after hearing this record, this is just like a, this is just like a really good version of like, fucking lame art black metal from the u.s you know it's like this yeah 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 this is like the good version of i mean it's like musically it's tangent to it but this is like what should be imperial triumphant you know it's like yeah yeah. no this is what yeah if you wanted to make usbm this would be a pretty good candidate if you Um, if you want to make like arty fucking distinctly american distinctly proggy sort of high-minded black metal or black metal ish stuff yeah yeah i'll take this all fucking day yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. And it's not it's obviously not influenced by or in dialogue with any of those bands. Um, no, definitely not. <laughs> uh, and and so you know, that could be said of both of the records tonight. The common theme is really 
I, I almost brought this up on the Gendad. Things that should be album of the year for Fantano or for like rate your music people. Yeah. But they they probably won't be because they're too authentic, weird, and dense. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're too actually metal. You know? yes, yeah. <laughs> they, they 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 ask something of the listener um, instead they're, of making a statement. They're they're not aesthetically black metal enough. You know, it's mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah, yes, yes. too much. They're, of a they're folk actu- record. <laughs> you know? they're actually too far beyond the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's like it's a, the, these are records that are actually that are actually highbrow, not just middlebrow posturing as highbrow. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Okay, um, so uh, real quick, second sample uh, off the offering. Uh, which kind of alongside the abduction is sort of the most straightforward banger on the record, so to speak. Um, I really like the way this album is structured. And you see, this is one of those rare cases where it's like, I feel like I could have a couple more tracks. I feel like we could make this into like a real sprawling record or maybe their next one would be. Oh, oh, wait, real quick while I remember. Yeah. Oh wait, I think it's actually at the end of this track, but on the Outlaw Rock subject, there is a Makuahedal riff on this record. Not like literally a Makuahedal riff, but that style of like heavily strummed, almost flamenco blasting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's at the end of this track. Is it in your sample? Mm, I don't think so. I, I'm sampling from the beginning. Right. So track, I just so. wanted to point that out, that y- y- to reinforce that connection, there's a part on this record that literally sounds like down the line, our concept of what outlaw rock would be. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, so this one is like more straightforward than uh, really either of the previous two samples. You know, it's like pretty direct. And I think here we get really back to, I'm still convinced that Grand Declaration is of primary importance to this band. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I'll I'll talk to Don McKinnon and uh, see what he thinks about that. And, you know, if that's a big reference point. But here you're going to get riffing that's like very thrash inspired rhythmically, but with a lot of the kind of tonal qualities of like blasphemers riffing in that era of mayhem. And uh, it's interesting to hear what this band sounds like when they just focus in and they do something that's a bit more mainline extreme metal.
So, yeah, that's um, this is like one of the most straightforward passages on the album. Um, I really like it uh, sort of like breaking up the more kind of elaborate sprawling narrative tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I want to center on, we talked about it when uh, you talked about it a little bit initially. We talked about it when we covered the demo. The vocal performance on this record is fucking phenomenal. Um and it really reinforces something that I've been saying kind of just since the show's begun, which is people are rediscovering the idea of metal vocals being theatrical and narrative and operatic in a really cool way. It's that whole Attila vibe coming back, and it's, it's, it's great. Um, it, the vocal performance on this record is so expressive and distinct um, it doesn't function in the way that metal vocals typically do. You know, it mm-hmm. is much more, uh, you know, it's sort of a Greek chorus. It's a, it's a narrative and communicative device that allows itself all the room in the world to move around stylistically for what benefits the song and benefits the narrative at any given time. And just the idea that, you know, metal vocalists are returning to the idea of, you know, not having to stick to a distinct style to being able to play around with things to to embody their characters more uniquely i think is fucking great you know i i i can't say enough about that i think it's wonderful the idea that we're kind of breaking past the idea of like oh you have to do you have to be screeching all the time in your black metal band you know or you're not legitimate or something it's like please give us more of this i think we can both agree on that yeah, I mean, and it's not like he can't screech if he needs to. Um, yeah, there's plenty of that too. Well, yeah, the um, and you know, again, the more sort of uh, spoken approach fits the America, the American thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, a more uh, shouty human presence is an important part of the outlaw rock phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh that's um the uh yeah so here's a weird thing right you find this more direct i find this part just as elusive as the rest of the record really it's it's simpler it you know it's more of a straightforward alternation between a kind of that kind of off-kilter chug riff and the blasting part da, 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 da. but these are very like elusive half um weird liminal melodies i'd say a lot of the melodies on this record have a bit of that kind of eric satie Debussy vibe which mm-hmm. is one thing that links it to i was saying this is kind of like a press yeah yeah you mentioned that when we were listening to a previous mm-hmm. sample this mm-hmm. is actually quite similar to a press in a and lot of ways a press is more black metal but they're converging around the same definitely uh really similar reference points in a lot of ways um and so this has kind of, this is kind of like that kind of melody at its sort of delip wispiest and most yeah, yeah. evanescent. Um, like for me, this kind of blows by me. Um, it's uh, well, I've I've actually I was thinking about that, and I I think that um, an interesting you know it's almost become a meme on the show of this isn't riff based music bro you know it's the joke we tell back and mm-hmm. forth in this case it's like this isn't emotional music bro 
Like, I, I, I think this really... I don't think there's really much interest on the part of this record in creating an emotional connection. I think it's a, a sort of purely creative kind of craftsman's display of, like, cool ideas, you know? Because I, I definitely I, don't, like, feel something in particular. I'm just like, oh, these are really cool ideas, and I get into the narrative. It's kind of spooky and kind of ethereal. Well, I, you know? I get that if it's more narrative, right, the idea is not to be sort of, it's not this impulse being channeled to the listener, right? It's not, uh, it's not, yes, it's not sort of, um, It's not meant to, you know, stir the passions. Mm. Um, I, I, I get that. It's more, uh, it, it's more, it's not communicative. It's more like an objective kind of process that you're watching, right? Mm-hmm. Um, more like a drama. I get that. Um, I mean, I think the best parts of it also have a physical, also have some sort of immediate impact. Yeah, like, I, I uh, get that. Yeah. Um, but like this part is just, it's just, interesting because it's formatted in a more standard way but it's just a it's a very slippery album yeah it definitely is furtive and slippery and this part's slippery like that too a thing i was wondering that this might connect to within extreme metal and within early 2000 stuff is a band who've been like semi forgotten not forgotten but strongly demoted in a sense of their importance which is portal yeah, well, I mean, I, I tie Portal more closely to the whole Cavern Core thing, but as far as mood goes, I, I get you. I think these are Portal kind of chords and blast melodies. They just kind of slither away. Um, mm-hmm. And, and like, the whole, even the title of the album, Doldrum, that's very close to, uh, what was the first Portal record called? Um, it wasn't Sepia, it was... Yeah, yeah. I mean... I think uh, it was. Oh it no, was no! Sepia. I think it was sepia. Yeah, but they also had the end mills. Uh, I I just think like um, I think Portal got heavily associated with the Cavern Core thing because a lot of those because they're also in Impetuous Ritual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Grave and, Upheaval. They yeah, share members with those guys. bands, yeah. and they're similar kinds of strange production. But Portal's own music was way, way weirder. And they're one of those bands where the imitators did not imitate the guitar technique or the melodic ideas. Which, you know, Portal basically just sounds like music being played backwards. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is not necessarily a place I want to hang out a lot, but it's damn impressive and spooky. (laughs) And I feel like there's an affinity with this record it often sounds like it's being played backwards. It often has this kind of, I mean, the covers in the sepia. (laughs) That's fair. So, so I'd be very curious to hear whether this guy's into portal. Um, because that is portal also has this mood of like, you know, it's not trying to, um, you know, it's not, yeah, they're Australian. It's not exactly gospel of the horns. They don't want you to bang your head with them or whatever, right? They just want you to gaze upon their Lovecraftian horrors. And, uh, you know, this definitely has some of that. Yeah, you're, you're, um, it, it's almost like that, uh, Spire record that we talked mm-hmm. about early last year. The idea that it's like, oh, this is a, uh, a soundtrack to a stage performance. 
mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is which I think I've just got a lot of affection for because it is so radically different from most metal in general. Yeah, you could imagine a sound a silent film for this. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Oh, there you go. That's the project for the band. Well, something that's adjacent to this that also is very early two thousands that I wonder if they like is Miasma and the Carousel of Crippled Horses. I have no idea what the fuck that is. <laughs> yeah, it's just some weird shit I know about. Uh, probably through non-metal channels, but it's um, uh, weird. It's kind of cham- symphonic. It's like chamber music, ornate chamber music, influenced by like Goblin and those like Italo Italo okay. horror soundtrack, but has a deliberate metal adjacency for sure. Hmm. Um, and also, you know, like, do you remember way back in the day when there are things that were kind of steampunk that were cool? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's kind of like like cool sort of um cool victorian gothic kind of film soundtrack music um and it also has this kind of early 20th century elusive early 20th century or late 19th century melody to it um it and it's i don't know that, that that's another this is one of those records where you just have to throw up like 50 reference points all of which are just kind of parallel to it in weird ways yeah. mm. so let's talk about the last sample um actually this fl- follows well with this kind of elusive um Im- impressionist music melody kind of stuff um this is uh the disappearance it's the final track um and, um, well, I guess there's the elusive part, um, the disappearance. <laughs> and, you know, here's here we're going to get some of the continuum of that kind of scrunky chugga-chugga stuff that I don't like, so that I just can't get my hooks in. But then it will go into a really, uh, into this great, really focused riff. Another one of those places where the bandwidth kind of narrows, mm-hmm. uh, the focus intensifies. Um and then we get more textured stuff that's really interesting and has these free-floating layers. And here's a place where I really like the Prague influence.
So that, like, that sort of floating guitar and keyboard melody, like, is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's interesting that the stuff that it, it's like we scan this record so differently because that feels way more diffuse and slippery than my last sample. It, it, it's like we have totally opposite perspectives, at least from section to section, you know? Yeah, I guess I I mean, maybe I like when it's really Maybe I like it when it gets very spacey. Here it sounds very like liquid in a way that most of the album does not. And that's clearly, that's, I'm sure, everything on this is deliberate, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, mostly this is kind of angular and winding and claustrophobic. This part is a little more like uh, underground cavern with the homunculus guy next to you. Yeah, yeah. This, um, this is in, the in the water where he's stealing the the main character away, according to the lyrics. Yeah, or some something like that. Yeah, it's um. So I I like the these kinds of melodies. I think I like when they kind of like waft and drift about and um. Uh, and there was the still sort of the heavy percussive bass line stuff, but it's working more as an anchor point there. Um, mm-hmm. But we should also talk about the really sick riff that happens right before that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the cool thing about it is that it goes in a very different direction halfway through the riff. Um, not like an ill, not a crazy one, but it's a very. Uh, it, there, it's it's a riff that it's kind of a hybrid riff. It's not locked into a single melodic direction, um, and it's it's actually the second repeat of that riff in the song. So there's some like serious direct riffing here. That's another one of the places where you're like, oh, that's a black metal riff or a black death riff of some kind, um, or even kind of like an arrogant thrash riff. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that part is really cool, and then to have it spill into this more uh, open part, I, I like a lot. Um, yeah, I, I you know, um, I, I feel like I uh, like I strongly approve of this. It's not my cup of tea, but I strongly approve of it.